Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is here. It's Wayday. Right now, you can score up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. All up to 80% off right now. Plus, everything ships free. And flash deals are launching all Wayday long. Don't miss Wayfair's biggest sale of the year. Shop Wayday right now for May 6th at Wayfair.com. Tonight on The Readout, April 2026. That is the date that Donald Trump's team just proposed his federal trial begin in the election interference case. I did say 2026, right? That is not a typo. That's the really date that he said. Fun. Plus, the latest in a series of horrifying post-Roe realities as a 13-year-old rape victim, a rape, a rape survivor, I should say, is forced to give birth in the state where abortion has now been made illegal. And the latest from Hawaii as the death toll continues to climb and officials begin to ask if there was anything more they could have done to save at least some of those lives. But we begin tonight with a question that I will bet you have never thought of, but that the latest Trump indictment got me thinking about. And it is this. What is a gang? I mean, really, what is it? And what pops into your head when you think of the word? Our friends at Merriam-Webster define it this way, a group of persons working to unlawful or antisocial ends, especially a band of antisocial adolescents. Now, of course, there have been many definitions over time. In the early 1900s, they were a bunch of rowdy kids menacing the city streets with their little hats cocked to the side. On TV, there was Our Gang, otherwise known as the Little Rascals, Spanky, Alfalfa, Darla, Buckwheat and the Bunch, much less menacing, a little stereotypical, but more entertaining. There were the Sharks and the Jets in West Side Story, for those of you who love musicals. In the modern era, people probably think of gangs like the Crips or the Bloods or MS-13. But the gangs that were the most famous and notorious were the mafia families of the 1940s through the 1980s who terrorized, financially exploited, and in some ways financially propped up ethnic communities in the Irish, Italian, Jewish, and African-American downtown neighborhoods in cities like Chicago, Atlantic City, Las Vegas, and New York City. They defined what law enforcement and governments understood gangs to be. Law enforcement, however, struggled to prosecute these criminal organizations because their members were committing separate individual crimes that may have been associated, but not necessarily connected in obvious ways to each other. That's why the feds ultimately got Al Capone for tax evasion, right? It was not legally possible to get him any other way. It wasn't until 1970 that Congress came up with a law that would allow federal prosecutors to connect the disparate crimes being committed by a bunch of individuals into a single prosecution, what we know as the RICO Act. Now, if you look at Donald Trump's indictment in Georgia, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis repeatedly refers to Trump, his 18 co-defendants, and his 30 unnamed, unindicted co-conspirators as this criminal organization. Quote, this criminal organization constituted an enterprise, as that term is defined in Georgia's RICO Act statute, that is a group of individuals associated in fact. She's basically describing them as a gang. 
The indictment continues. The defendants and other members and associates of the enterprise had connections and relationships with one another and with the enterprise. The enterprise constituted an ongoing organization whose members and associates functioned as a continuing unit for a common purpose of achieving the objectives of the enterprise. That's the theory that D.A. Fonnie Willis is working with, that Trump and a group of 18 other people with a variety of separate functions from a bunch of different places conspired to commit separate crimes in furtherance of a single conspiracy, not to move drugs or to rob banks, but rather to rob voters of the election results they voted for. She's basically indicted the Trump gang. Outside the scope of this legal case, there's another aspect of the larger Trump gang, MAGA extremists, that seem to mirror common gang-like tactics, namely a propensity, a propensity for violence. What was January 6th, after all, besides a show of force on behalf of their leader? The violence and threats of violence have continued ever since. A woman in Texas has been arrested and charged this week after leaving a voicemail threatening federal judge Tanya Chutkin, the judge overseeing Trump's January 6th conspiracy trial in D.C. According to the affidavit, the woman said, quote, if Trump doesn't get elected in 2024, we are coming to kill you. So tread lightly, B word, adding you will be targeted personally, publicly, your family, all of it. It is worth noting that message came just one day after Trump's if you go after me, I'm coming after you post on his social media. Also this week, someone or some people released the purported names, photos and addresses of the Fulton County grand jurors who voted to indict Trump, putting the information on a fringe right wing website that often features violent rhetoric. The list is also circulating on far right message boards. It is a tactic Michael Corleone would be proud of. One person wrote in response to the post, quote, these jurors have signed their death warrant by falsely indicting President Trump. Wild, right? And scary. These grand jurors are now being added to the so-called Trump enemies list for simply doing their civic duty, listening to the facts laid out to them and voting based on the evidence. And as someone who's been on the receiving end of showing up on a list like this, I can tell you it is not long before you start getting threatening phone calls and emails, not to mention the online attacks. And since there's no way of knowing who's just talking crap and who's serious, it does scare you if you're any kind of a normal person. But just think about how much more terrifying it is for someone who's not chosen to be in the public eye and who might not have the resources to get protection. These grand jurors are just private, ordinary Fulton County citizens, not TV people. And they're now facing the prospect of an onslaught of hate and threats from the MAGA gang. Because in every way that you can think of, MAGA is a gang, like the Crips or the Bloods or the Five Families are, just with a different purpose. They keep everyone in line with threats. And the folks in the group were afraid to cross the leader. Hey, elected Republicans. The leader takes stuff that doesn't belong to him. They defy law enforcement. They act in concert sometimes to commit crimes. And yes, some of them are willing to choose violence. If I'm wrong, you got to tell me how. I'm joined now by Ben Collins, NBC News senior reporter, Neil Katyal, professor of law at Georgetown University, former acting solicitor general and MSNBC legal analyst, and Peter Strzok, former FBI counterintelligence agent. Thank you all for being here. Peter, I do want to start with you because you were in law enforcement. 
I thought about this the other day when I was reading the indictment, which is a fascinating read that gives a lot of detail about the length and the pressure that was placed on public officials in Georgia and out to try to force them to go along with this scheme to steal the election. It involved intimidation. It involved intimidation against election officials. It involved intimidation of Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state. It was gang-like activity to me. But talk me down if you think that I'm wrong about characterizing MAGA, the MAGA gang, as a gang. Uh, No, I think you're absolutely right. What was so compelling about the Georgia indictment, in my opinion, was the scope and just how broad it was. Walking through everything that went on from the top at Trump and all the efforts, whether it was trying to influence state officials, whether it was trying to get these fake electors, whether it was breaking in allegedly to voting infrastructure, and all of the different people who went into doing it, all and looking at it like an enterprise, each of them connected in their own way is part of this. And absolutely is when you look separately, not just the charges in the indictment, but the things that are coming along with it, it's absolutely like something you'd see in a mob where people coming up saying, that's a great restaurant you got. It's, yeah. It'd be a shame if something happened to that. And you see time and time again, now you have grand jurors who have been threatened. You yep. have here Judge Chutkin in D.C. who's been threatened. You have any number of people, you know, gunmen in uh, somebody pulled a gun in Utah after making a threat to President Biden, somebody in Texas under arrest for threatening Judge Chutkin. This isn't a potential of violence. There's violence going on right now, and it's going on because of the inflammatory rhetoric that's coming out of Trump and the people around him. Right, you think about MS-13 is based in another country, or no, actually actually it's based here, it's based in the Western United States, but it shows up in other countries. I mean, you can have gang activity that shows up in disparate places, but they all just have the same end goal. In this case, the end goal is power for Trump. Right, and it's a national issue, right? This is not just these threats that are being made against the grand jurors in Georgia, against the court personnel aren't just coming from Georgia. So Georgia authorities can do everything in their power to investigate. But at some point, if those threats are coming from Texas, if they're coming from the West Coast, this is a federal issue, too. And it's going to I'm sad to promise you that it's going to get worse. And I will know that they've also threatened federal law enforcement and FBI agents as well. Ben, can you talk about the online part of this? Because, you know, you can kind of (laughs) guess like when they start describing, uh, you know, some of the sources of the, you know, explosion of this. It's some of the people who spread Pizzagate and that kind of thing. You look at the dark web so we don't have to. How ugly is it getting out there? Yeah, if you're a juror here, uh, you know, you probably are starting to fear for your life. That's probably what's going on. Uh, If you're on this grand jury, that's what you're thinking. Um, And that's because there is a whole system set up around these things called weaponizable data points. This is what uh, J.M. Berger, a guy who wrote a book on extremism called Extremism, uh, brought out when he said that, you know, when political candidates... Uh, are looking for ways to advance their message, but kind of run out of options. They go after specific people that they think are weak. Um, a really good example of this, really enough, is in Georgia. It's Ruby Freeman. Um, back a couple of years ago, I tried my damnedest to get her on the phone. Um, and I kept calling her because the word that kept coming into my head, which is very relevant to this discussion, is Patsy. They tried to turn this poor old lady, basically, who had a mall kiosk uh, store, in, who that sold purses, by the way, into a patsy. Um, and they sent, you know, one of their people, one of their consigliaries, uh, Travion Cootie, after the, after her, uh, trying to get her to admit to a crime she did not do. So they could create this whole established narrative that actually she is, you know, uh, she is the stand-in for much larger election crime that actually did not happen. So um, what you see now is they're trying to do that to these jurors. They're trying yeah. to say... Um, you know, we're trying to scare them into compliance. Um, and uh, you would just hope after seeing, you know, they've been seeing this evidence for months or not years now. Um, 
you would have to hope that they would see this coming, you know, that they would be next. And that's, that's precisely what's happening. They are getting the same treatment that the people uh, who are victims in this suit, um, they're getting that same treatment directed at them. And let me just play for you all so that you understand uh, what Ben is talking about. This is Ruby Freeman actually calling 911 because at first it's a, believe it or not, a Lutheran pastor who is one of the indicted people in the, one of the 18. He's the first one to try to get to her. They call Ruby Freeman. You called her as a journalist. They were calling her over and over, back to back to back. Couldn't get her on the phone. Finally, this pastor shows up at her door. She calls 911. Here is that call. They keep saying that time is running out and I'm going to need some representation. I'm, they saying that I need help and they can help me because they say they coming after me. As Do you know who these people met, are? No, that's why I wanted the police to come and I go outside and talk with them with the police being there. I'm not talking now. And just to correct, this was after the pastor tried to get in touch with her, then goes back to his fellow gang members and essentially says she doesn't want to talk to me because she's afraid to talk to a white man. You do it. And so a gentleman who is another one of the indicted people, um, Neil, to bring you in here, who is the head of Black Voices for Trump, he gets involved. He gets Trevi and Cootie. Now the three of them are working on her. And then it's Trevi and Cootie now shows up. And that is why she is now calling 911. This is a classic, you know, basically intimidation campaign, Neil. That's 100% right. And, you know, the quiet dignity of Ruby Freeman in response to this thug-like behavior, you know, it's just, uh, it's it's very moving to me. Um, I do think that as this case goes towards trial, you know, that type of story is going to resonate in the minds of the jurors. It's one thing, you know, we've talked about all sorts of big crimes that Trump and his henchmen committed, like the fake electors plots and things like that. But this just episode is such a powerful microcosm of what Trump was doing. It's such a human story. Anyone can grab their mind around it. And so I do suspect that it'll play a big role in the trial to come. To stay with you for just a moment, can you, because the other thing about it is, you know, back in the mob days, you got this sense that like the, the, you know, the public officials feared them as well and sometimes played ball. Donald Trump and his team attempting to get a 2026 trial date in response to the government saying, let's get this trial done in January. You're starting to laugh because I think you're going to say it's laughable. Is that in any way a reasonable <laughs> difference between the request of the government and the request of the defendant? Neil. <laughs> I mean, laughable gives it so much credit, Joy. I mean, I, I don't actually have adjectives in my vocabulary, at least not ones I can say on television. Um, but but just just to be clear, this is that the Trump has moved for the delay of the trial date in Washington, D.C. for the January 6 crimes, the Jack Smith prosecution. So this is not about the Georgia uh, indictment, but yes. about the federal indictment. And look, I mean, Trump has literally filed a document just moments ago saying April 2026 is when he wants that trial to start. I've never in my 20 plus years of practicing law seen a request anything like that. And I'll eat my hat if <laughs> Judge Chutkin accepts it because, you know, look, justice delayed is justice denied. And to me, the key thing about this episode, Joy, is what does this filing April 2026, tell us about Donald Trump's view of the merits of the case against him. Because, look, if you're innocent, if you're you or me, and we're accused of launching a coup and subverting democracy and launching January 6th, 
you'd want this trial right away. You want to clear your name. But not this guy. This guy's scared of going to trial. He talks all the bluster he wants outside of the courtroom, but he is terrified of actually being in a courtroom. And when he is in one, he clams up. So to me, this is just further indicia of his own consciousness of guilt. He's, of course, entitled to make these filings. There's no problem with that in terms of legally. But I think it tells us a lot about his own state of mind. Yeah, he's like, let's have the trial in the month of Neverty. Let's just do it then. Uh, let, let me come back to the kind of mob-like behavior. Um, and I want to come back to you, Peter, on this. This is, to me, the most mafioso-like moment. Sort of. This is Donald Trump doing the crime on tape and calling Raffensperger and essentially threatening him and saying, go along with my scheme or else. Here it is. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. He goes on to say, you know, if you don't do it, you might be committing a crime. It's, it's my behavior. Right. This was not a, hey, I think there's a problem here. When you lay out that somebody is facing potential threats because of not doing something, it absolutely is a threat to Raffensperger to do something. And, Joy, that's what's so important about all the, the threats right now that are going out to the grand jurors. Yeah. Part of that is retribution. Part of that is people trying to get back at them. But a bigger issue is that's intended to send a message because there are going to be jurors in the criminal trials in Fulton County, in Washington, D.C., down in Florida. And those jurors will have watched all of this going on. And to have them on edge, to have them worried about their safety, Mm -hmm. to have them worried about doing their job, this isn't just something about getting back at the people who sat on the grand jury. This is sending a message forward to all these future trials and all those people who get selected for jury duty that they're going to come after you, too. And witnesses, Ben, and witnesses. Because if if you've seen uh, the doxing of the grand jurors in Georgia, if you're going to be a witness, if you're then get that notice to be a witness in any of these trials, now you have to fear that you wind up on whatever Elon Musk is calling his silly you know, Twitter machine or on Truth Social, and you're getting threatened the same way these grand jurors are. Yeah. And sometimes, by the way, um, the rolling terror of the last few years will have you legitimately start to fear that, like the guy who shot the FBI office or those white nationalist murders we've had over the last few years or sometimes they cite Trump, sometimes they say Trump's not going far enough, that sort of thing. I just want to stress this. When you're on these forums all day, they care about two things, Joy. They care about one thing, which is getting Donald Trump elected and going after all of his enemies. That's why Ron DeSantis' poll numbers and amongst the Republican base dipped about like 50 percentage points. It's not That's not a miracle. It's not magic. It's because they Donald Trump's people viewed him as a threat, and they pushed him down the totem pole, even though they agree on almost everything. Um, they pushed him up because it's a cult of personality around, around that one guy. So there's that one thing. And then there's hatred of trans people. Those are the two things that matter right now on on Trump message boards. That's it. There's there's no other thing. So if they find a way, if they find a new character every day to go after, if they dig into the life stories of these jurors, which they will, by the way, they'll absolutely do that. Um, that's that allows them new content in that space. It's only this fun little QAnon style, you know, mission that they have on a day-to-day basis, but it really functions as a campaign message uh, to go after these people as well. 
Uh, Neil, Donald Trump has been told, at least in the January 6th federal case, that he is not to disclose information de deemed sensitive, including witness information. But he's allowed to do whatever he wants at this point and say whatever he wants about the judge uh, in the Georgia case, who just has been uh, assigned, about the DA, Fonnie Willis. And he's letting fly. At some point, do the threats against the people involved in his case in some way redound back to him? And is he legally liable in any way for them. Yeah, he certainly can be. I think there's a distinction between what he says about the judge and criticism of the judge. There are some ethical prohibitions against that in, in rules of the court. Um, but that's a different matter than when you're trying to intimidate witnesses or intimidate jurors or grand jurors. Um, that the law takes a very stern uh, eye toward, and you can be thrown in jail just for that. And Trump is already coming really close to the line. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see if this is just just if, if there is a way to, to have him, you know, shut up on this stuff or if it's going to take some stern measures from the judge. I mean, if he continues this behavior, it would not surprise me to have him called before both of these judges that you mentioned uh, and to explain himself. We may find out because if he decides to throw a, a cute little press conference uh, when he turns himself in and do his show, uh, all hell could could break loose. We will see what happens. Ben Collins, Neil Katyal, Peter Strzok, thank you all very much. Up next on The Readout, polls show the majority of Americans think Trump actually is in some legal trouble, some serious legal trouble. But don't try telling his allies in Washington that. They still think he's as innocent as a fly on Mike Pence's hair. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Today, Donald Trump had a message for the Republican Party on how to defend him against his four, one, two, three, four criminal indictments. Republicans can't get, let him get away with it. Republicans have to be tough. The Republicans are great in many ways, but they don't fight as hard for this stuff, and they have to get a lot tougher. The message seems to have been received by many of the men and women supposedly running against him for the party nomination. Even full-time wokeness fighter Ron DeSantis, who's been a focus of Trump's rage. New reporting shows that in a memo outlining potential strategy for next week's Republican primary debate, allies of the governor of the state where leprosy is returned urged him to defend Trump if he's not there against attacks from Chris Christie and instead go on the attack against embarrassingly, embarrassingly solicitous Trump defender Vivek Ramaswamy. And coming up now, uh, joining me now is Charlie Sykes, MSNBC contributor and editor-at-large of The Bulwark. Okay, give me your strategy evaluation. Uh, DeSantis's strategy is now defend Trump. 
attack Christie. Real man of political genius. You're running <laughs> against a guy who has just been indicted uh, for the first time, faces 90 uh, criminal felony charges, and your strat and, and and you're behind what 39 uh, points in in the polls. You need an absolute breakout if you want to win this nomination. And what do they come up with? De- defend Donald Trump and attack Vivek. Um, I mean, I don't know whether this is a slow rolling surrender on Ron DeSantis' part or whether he's just sort of trapped in his loop of knowing that he just has to keep pandering to what he thinks the base wants. So he's got this memo. You attack the media. You attack Joe Biden. You you spend like two seconds talking about your vision for the future. And then you defend Donald Trump against Chris Christie's attacks, because that will accomplish what? Um you know, I, 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 it is interesting hearing the reaction among e- even some of his fans who are going, you know, wh- why why are you wasting our time and our money? If, if that <laughs> is your big strategy to beat Donald Trump uh, is to go out on the stage here in Milwaukee, the first big debate. And what is your what is your mission? Attack Vivek Ramaswamy and defend <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, well, the the, sort of the theory of the case, right, is that they're all running now to take down DeSantis, right? So they're going to attack him probably, right? Because none of them are running against Trump. If they did a show of hands, who likes Trump? They're all going to go, me, right? Except for maybe, you know, Chris Christie. Right. But but at this point, do you think Trump shows up? Because he doesn't have to. Like, he doesn't need to show up at all. No, I've right. never thought he was going sh- mean, to. I never thought he was going to show up. Uh, he's so far ahead in the polls. Plus, he, uh, I, I think I frankly think that he's afraid to be on the stage with Chris Christie. So, I no, agree. I don't think that he's the, I don't think he's going to show up. And why does he need to show up now? If Ron exactly. DeSantis is going to carry water for him, if his number one rival is going to defend him, what is the point? It's not like he needs to show up to get attention because he's <laughs> going to be dominating the, the news cycle next week when he does his perp walk and gets his mug shot. So it's not like he's not going to get a lot of uh, a lot of publicity. Uh, but, you know, the one thing that that I, I do think, I mean, and this, you know, I am I'm tempted to, to stick with the, the sort of the clownishness of all of this. But you would hope, especially listening, and I was thinking about this listening to your last segment, you would hope that at least one or two of those Republican candidates would do the bare minimum and say, hey, at this dangerous moment in American history, we all ought to lower the temperature of our rhetoric, including the former president, because this is dangerous. This is not theoretical. We've seen it over and over again. Churches in Charleston, synagogues mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, stores in El Paso, grocery stores in Buffalo. We've had attacks on FBI offices, pipe bombs sent to journalists. You had, you know, the 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 MAGA uh, the, the MAGA extremist who was killed by the FBI in Utah. And, we, and I'm not I'm just scratching the surface here. Yeah. This is really a dangerous moment. And Donald Trump is poor, is flicking matches at a bonfire already covered in kerosene, and not one of the other Republicans is calling on him to tone it down, with the exception yeah. of Chris Christie. And the thing is, is that, you know, some of them also are, are lawyers, right? Some of them are supposed to respect uh, the sort of the, 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 the law. I mean, DeSantis is a Harvard-trained lawyer, but at, for, but at this yeah. point, he's just Trump's lawyer. Um, but let's, let, let's talk a little bit about sort of some of the other 
um, kind of atmospherics, I should just say, of this. So a majority of Americans, and, and we can go through like four or five polls, actually believe that Trump did commit a crime, that he should be prosecuted. This is now a majority consensus among everybody except Republicans. So it's not as if Donald Trump is becoming more esteemed among the general public as he runs for president more. It's not as if he is raising money to even become president. Like a third of the money he's raising is going right to his legal fees. He's taking the the money of working class people who are giving him money and paying for his lawyers when he's supposedly rich. At this point, just the whole atmospherics of this race are a grifter robbing working class Americans and then telling them to go out and fight like hell. And some of them are getting violent. I don't understand how the party is accepting of that, but they are. A rational political party would look at this, would look at those numbers, look at the situation and realize we need to move on from this. Um, the, you know, these polls would suggest that an a overwhelming majority of American voters are done with Donald Trump. Sixty four percent say they will definitely or probably not vote for him. Um, what part of that don't they understand? Uh, also, the polls are showing when you dig down in them. That, that even among Republicans, a re- relatively small number of Republicans believe Donald Trump when he says, I did nothing wrong. They're willing to say he did something wrong, maybe not felonious. But the number of Americans who believe that Donald Trump is an innocent man is vanishingly small. So here you have the Republican Party looking at all of this, looking at all of the cases against him, all of the trials, all of the felonies, and saying, we're okay with that. We're going yeah. to spend 2024 doing that. And, I, and I, the only, my only explanation I wrote about this this morning is this, the continuation of this magical thinking that something, yeah. something, something, unicorn, maybe a deadly Big Mac will solve the problem for him. <laughs> because very clearly, th- they don't want to do it themselves. They, they yeah. want the indictments to take care of the problem, but they're not willing to actually take any of the affirmative steps that a normal political candidate would do who wants to win an election. Yeah. I mean, on top of that, many of them are running saying that their administration will be dedicated toward creating an exoneration of Donald Trump at the Justice Department, right. firing anyone who ever offended or prosecuted him, prosecute right. him and abolish and somehow expunge his uh, multiple impeachments. What a country. What a world. Uh, what a party. Uh Charlie Sykes, thank you, my friend. Yeah, super genius. Thank you. Uh, Still ahead, we are diving into the haunting effects of wiping out Roe v. Wade after a federal appeals court rules in favor of abortion pill restrictions at a time when minors, little kids, are being forced to give birth in what's supposed to be modern America. Stay with us. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. A story out of Mississippi is at the center of the abortion debate, exposing the horrors of post-Roe America and its cruelty toward children. According to a Time magazine report, a 13-year-old girl was forced to give birth after getting raped and impregnated by a stranger who attacked her outside her home. Despite the state's so-called exceptions for rape, which require a police report, the girl was unable to get an abortion. 
Time magazine used Ashley as the pseudonym for the girl who, along with her family, are caught in the teeth of abortion ban America, where the procedure is illegal across most of the South. Ashley's mom, whose pseudonym in the Time piece is Regina, said her daughter used to love going outside to make dance clips for her TikTok account. But suddenly, last fall, she refused to leave her room and stopped speaking. When she turned 13, Ashley wasn't even in the mood to celebrate. She just said to her mother, it hurts. Despite the disappearance of abortion care in her state after, I mean, after Dobbs, the closest provider, because of the disappearance of abortion care in her state after Dobbs, the closest clinic was in Chicago. That's a nine-hour drive by car, too far and too expensive for Regina and Ashley to make the trip. Regina said she simply didn't have the money or the time off work. Ashley was terrified of going into labor, her doctor recalled. She had questions about pushing and the pain. Her son, nicknamed Peanut, is now a few weeks old. Any day now, his mother, by government mandate, who is young enough to be his big sister, will start seventh grade. Joining me now is Shannon Brewer, executive director of Las Cruces Women's Health Center, health organization in New Mexico. She's the former director of Mississippi's Jackson Women's Health Organization, the clinic at the center of the Dobbs case. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Shannon Brewer. You are the one person that I really wanted to talk to about this case. So thank you, thank you for saying yes. Um, let's talk about this little girl. That's the reality now for little girls all across your former state. What are your thoughts? Um. My thoughts actually is this is exactly what we have been telling everybody is going to happen. This is going to happen a lot more. It probably has already happened. We were, we're just hearing about this one. Um, this is what we were telling everybody when they um, they were saying that they had these exceptions for rape. And yet there were there are no doctors or physicians or anyone in the state um, to see these people when they're when they've been raped. So. This is exactly what we expected to happen. And we're going to see this a lot more. I mean, you can say there are exceptions, but then you're like, well, there needs to be a police report filed in a certain uh, amount of time. I mean, it was 10 weeks later before she told her mom, you know, this is a terrified little girl. I mean, I can, I was terrified before giving birth of the pain, et cetera. This is a child, you know, and the, these states. And if you look just at the map to drive to get an abortion, you have to drive through four, five, six states, drive all the way to Chicago. It's like the great migration um, in order to get an, uh, an abortion. And a lot of people can't afford to make that trip. H how is that impacting where you are now? You are now in a free state. Um, but I'm sure you also have people protesting and violently, sometimes maybe outside of the, your clinic. So you've got the, the, yes, the violence yeah. when you get there and the protests and the drive. Yeah, yeah we, de we definitely have. We still have protesters. Um, but more importantly, what we have is we still have people that are calling who are needing services and they don't know how to get there. They don't have um, access. They don't have funds. And, um, you know, we're just we spend all of our time mostly uh, directing patients on uh, the closest clinic they can go to and um, different funding places that can help them. But we're we're having <laughs> for the last year. This is what we've been doing. We have women calling still from Mississippi, Alabama, everywhere. And they, these are women who have never left the state before. So, we, you know, you think of a, 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 a grown woman who can't even um, figure out how she's going to get to a clinic or what she's going to do. And then to think of a 13, she was actually 12 when she got pregnant, that, that yeah. little girl. To think of that is just, it, it just, it does something to me because... 
for her parents to not have that choice to make and to be forced for her to be forced to give birth is 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 devastating actually in a state where they're giving money that's intended for people who are indigent to Brett Favre instead of to little uh, to families like hers. Right. Um, so that, they're not even, and it's not a great that's state correct. when it comes to maternal health care or helping people in need. How, how will the Mifepristone situation affect you in a state like New Mexico if it goes the wrong way? We know that now the Fifth Circuit has sided with Judge Kaczmarek in Texas, uh, restricting in some ways Mifepristone. It's still legal. If that goes to, then what? If that goes to the, that we have a bigger problem because that's going to affect um, a lot of women, a lot of the these states that are um, sending pills, like mailing in the mail, um, the telemedicine is going to affect more states. It's going to affect some of the states that are that are supposedly safe, as they call them. I, I truly don't believe that any state is safe no. because at any time they could they can pass something that will um, wipe that state out. So there is yeah. no such thing as a safe state. And um, if they with this Mifepristone, it's just going to make it more difficult for women they just keep constantly trying to make it go away but their yeah. the problem is not going away the yeah. the high mortality rate is not going away those things are not going away it's actually that's going to make it even higher yeah. And what's also not going away is Republicans' determination to take this what this horror of Mississippi and make it national with a national abortion ban, because that is what they want, y'all. Uh, don't get it twisted. Shannon Brewer, right. thank you so much. Um, really appreciate you. Yes. And God bless. Thank you. You too. Thank you. And coming up next, the horrific aftermath of Maui's wildfire, the deadliest in modern American history. The death toll continues to rise as calls grow for an investigation into the disaster. That is next on The Readout. It's hard. It's hard to take in, you know, just seeing all this devastation. I don't, I don't know what to think. So many people have died. My friends lost their grandparents in the fires. People are being found in their cars. Where were you guys? No. Where were you guys to, to try and get us out, evacuate us? No. We're mad. We're mad. No, we didn't just lose our homes. We lost our town. There are so many questions as recovery teams with cadaver dogs continue the painstaking work of combing through burned debris. Maui's wildfires are among the deadliest on record in the United States. The death toll continues to climb with 111 dead and 1,000 still accounted for. Many more remain homeless and struggling to figure out what comes next as the majority of Western Maui is just gone. A security camera at the Maui Bird Conservation Center captured the moment when a tree toppled on an electric cable, sparking a fire. Ten sensors recorded a significant incident in Hawaii electric, Hawaii's electric grid, according to data from Whisker Labs. The fire was the first reported and adds evidence that Hawaii electric equipment sparked multiple fires. Experts believe the fire was fueled by increasing drought and hurricane-strength winds that can be attributed to the climate crisis. Hawaii's governor has asked the state's attorney general to perform a comprehensive review of what happened. The Maui County prosecutor told the Honolulu Star Advertiser that he was not currently launching a criminal investigation. A spokesperson for the state's largest utility company told NBC News that the cause of the fire has not been determined and we will work with the state and county as they conduct 
their review. I'm joined now by Bobby Lee, president of the Hawaii Firefighters Association. I know you're in Honolulu now, but you were in Maui, sir. So please describe what you saw. Yes, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Um, it's, sure. it's a pretty uh, horrific event. Um, you're looking at three major fires that caused the majority of the damage. None of them yet are fully extinguished. Um, they're still dealing with hot spots uh, for all three of the fires. Um, of course, Lahaina is the, the big one that everyone is focusing on now. Um, the majority of the, uh, I guess, obvious victims uh, have been found. Um, and a lot of the work now is being concentrated on victims that may not be as obvious, you know, because of, uh, when you look at the, the decimated homes and uh, buildings that are there, so I know FEMA is bringing in more resources. They're uh, bringing in more cadaver dogs to help go through, you know, to, to sift through the rubble and ash that remains. And, um, uh, and the, the, search, the search and recovery efforts are just continuing. For us, we're also concentrating on our firefighters who went through this horrific ordeal. Uh, they, they not only protect this community, they're part of the community. And so because of that, you know, this, this is, these aren't blank faces. These are friends, family uh, that are missing, still missing. And so, you know, we're concentrating on the um, focusing on uh, being prepared for, you know, emotional and uh, mental support for our firefighters that were involved. Uh, President Biden uh, is going to be coming uh, to the island on Monday. Uh, what do you want to see from the federal government? Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm pleased at this point for what the federal government has done. You know, FEMA, once the, the president signed the emergency declaration, uh, FEMA has just stepped it up and they started bringing in uh, just a lot of resources, necessary resources that we, we need to deal with a catastrophe like this. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with what uh, FEMA and the federal government is doing. And, and, and you know, we're just looking for, again, just uh, a continued uh, support for the tragedy that happened here. We've heard stories of people trying to take advantage of the situation, developers who are essentially coming in and trying to scoop up land and take advantage of people. Have you seen evidence of that? And, and how does that get prevented? Yeah, I've not seen evidence. I've, I've heard of it happening. I understand the governor stepped in really quick and said that, you know, we're not going to allow it to happen. If you understand the Hawaii culture, um, you know, we don't just abandon what we have. When things go wrong, we come together and um, and we help each other to rebuild. That's why the outpouring of uh, donations here has been so great that uh, the government has asked people to stop right now because everyone is helping, wants to help, wants to bring in resources. So um, I think I don't see people in Lahaina or any place else on this island just wanting to sell their property because of what happened. We we stick together and we, we're going to rebuild. Yeah, vulture capitalism is a bad thing everywhere, and we don't want to see that happen in Hawaii. It's had enough of a history in Hawaii, as uh, I'm sure you know better than I. Uh, last question is here. Um, there's a question of whether people should come or not. Uh, that coming seems exploitative in some ways, but not coming hurts tourism, which is the source of income for half of Hawaiians. In, in your view, come or don't come? Well, I think you still have the rest of the state that is open. You know, all the other islands have um, have uh, good things to provide the tourists that want to come. I think Maui right now is is 
that's not really the, the place to come at this point in time because of the cleanup efforts. But, you know, Hawaii is still a very nice place with a rich history and a, uh, a lot of nice people and nice culture. So I would welcome people to come, but just kind of respect uh, the problems that are going on on Maui at this point in time. Maui is the, the place in Hawaii that I have been and is such a beautiful, wonderful place with, as you said, just absolutely wonderful people. We are utterly, we are absolutely praying for you. Thank you so much, Bobby Lee, president of the Hawaii Firefighters Association. Thank you. And we will keep up with the story. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. We'll be right back. Before we go, our blog writer, Jahan Jones, is cooking up plenty for you over at the Readout blog. Check out his thoughts on the racist death threats against Judge Chutkin and the rights years-long war on black lawyers. And for hip-hop's 50th anniversary, he dropped a mini-series called Just a Sample, featuring a quick look at some of the most iconic samples in hip-hop history. Be sure to check it out. And that, my friends, is the Readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.